0: Have a seat. Thank you so much, guys, for uh, jumping in and helping us out today in our worship. Uh, As you can see, it was a little different today. We were short some folks, and uh, we had the four fathers who came up and said they would do it for us. So here you had joining us today. Thank you, guys. Isn't it great, though, to have a church where if someone isn't feeling well, something's happening, you got You got people that can step in and help out and do what has to be done and do it with a joyful heart. Do it for the right reason. Like We are just so blessed, folks. We are so blessed to have a church. And it's not just the worship team. We've got folks that step in for the children's ministry, folks that step in for the nursery. We got folks that that really are just servants at this church. It is often said that in ministries, it's a 90-10, you know, 90% do nothing and 10% do all the work. That is definitely not the case at Meriden Hills. I can tell you that. I, and I can tell you, uh, it's, it, it's exemplified when we do our outreach programs. We're going to do one on July 3rd at the park at the Meriden Green. And just the amount of people that all have already signed up, and I know you well enough. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, we've got to sign up. Like, you're going to sign up today. And then some of you, you just, I don't know, you have an aversion to putting your name on something. You just show up and say, what can I do? I'm like, your name's not on the list. Yeah, but I want to serve. Well, next time, put your name on the list, right? So, it's great how many people are willing to serve in this church. It's a, it warms my heart, and I know it's an encouragement to those in this room, so thank you. Josh, Ethan, Tony, Don, I appreciate you guys uh, leading us in worship today. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15. I, w- I was a little torn, got to be honest with you. I was torn. I was thinking, God, what should I preach? I try I, I try not to make a big deal out of holidays, if you've noticed. Like, I'm not going to be, you know, theming uh, my messages, you know, to, to holidays. Even even the July 3rd, my messages will not be themed around uh, the 4th of July. I'm going to be giving the gospel message and uh, just a general message of encouragement. We're just taking advantage of the opportunity to be at the park on that weekend. I don't often theme my messages. I do at Easter, of course. I do at Christmas. Outside of what you might call the religious holidays, I mean, the only ones I really theme are Mother's Day and Father's Day. And I, I take an opportunity to focus on mothers and honoring them on Mother's Day and fathers honoring them on Father's Day. And so we're going to do that today. And I was thinking, God, what would you have me to teach and preach on? And he led me to Luke 15. I'm thinking, really? I mean, th- these people could preach this message. I mean, it's, it's the story of the prodigal son. <laughs> uh, this is a, such a well-known text. I, I don't, I'm not going to read it for you today. I'll read some, but I'm not going to read through the story of the prodigal son. Almost everyone in this room knows this story by heart. But then God said, well, Russ, it's not Son's Day, it's Father's Day. So let's take a look at the Father on Father's Day. And I'm sure that's not the first time that's been done in in your life. You probably have heard the story of the prodigal son with the emphasis on the father rather than the son. So I'm going to do that today. I am hoping and praying that the truths that are brought out today are not only encouraging, but I hope that many of them are new and something maybe you haven't heard before that can can help. Uh, you draw closer to God and see how you can recognize the impact you have on your children. Now, there's a lot in this room I can just tell from looking out. A lot of you don't have children. It doesn't mean you can't impact children. A lot of you have children, but they're adults. Doesn't mean your time of impact is done. And if you have grandchildren, you get to start all back over with them. So, folks, if we're in this room There are children in our life, whether yours or someone else's, that you can impact. And the truths of today's text can help guide you on the best impact you can have on a child's heart. So, let's look at Luke chapter 15. I will again, I'll read a few verses here just to get us started. Verse 11, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. Now, there's, there's a couple of ways to look at that verse. There are some who believe that a child did not receive the portion of their living till the father was dead. And so when the father died an inheritance was given, the older son would receive double portion, so the inheritance would be split into thirds if there's only two sons. The first son getting two thirds, the second son getting one third of the proportion. It was, a, it was a cultural thing and often received when the father died. But according to some, some, some things I've read, theologians, commentaries, it seems that was not always the case. That there was some exceptions to the rule where a father could give the portion to the child before he died. And, and so uh, whether that's the case here or not, whether this son is, is being extremely rude by saying, Dad, I don't want to wait till you're dead, or whether this son is just saying it's my right to receive it whenever I want it, There's no way for us to know 2,000 years after this is written, not living in the culture that it was presented at the time. But we do know this. The child's heart was not for the father. That we do know, right? The child's heart was for himself. Whether it was outright rude, saying, I don't want to wait till you die, or not, the child was still thinking of themselves. But I do want to remind you of this. Where was the father's heart? The father's heart is obvious. You know the story. The father's heart was for the child, even when the child wasn't for the father. And that is the heart of a parent, mother or father. That is something everyone in this room who has a child can understand if you want to impact your children do not offer them conditional love you love me i'll love you back you're for me i'm for you right but the moment you walk out of that door the moment you leave don't ever come back don't ever ask for anything ever again that's not the heart of a parent that's not what it should be this father his heart was towards his son even when the son rejected the father We find that uh, in verse number 13, not many days after, didn't take him too long, gathered him stuff, left, uh, lived and spent his money, we're told, in riotous living. Verse 14, when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, right? Uh, Bad luck, you might say, after bad luck, or is it God's sovereignty in this young man's life? Whenever I pray for a prodigal, I always pray a similar prayer. God, do whatever it takes to help them recognize they need you. I do not pray for God's protection over the prodigal. I do not pray for God's blessing on the prodigal. In fact, I've been outrightly, I, I've said out, about my I, a family member, I said, God, take everything from them sooner than later, so they can hit rock bottom now and not wait 5, 10, 15 years down the road. God, take everything from them. Help them to recognize without you they are nothing and they have nothing. That's my prayer for the prodigal. So this prodigal hits rock bottom. It gets worse, though, He starts digging past rock bottom, and he starts working in a pig farm. You know the story, and you recognize, and you know that for a Jew to work in a pig farm with swine was an extremely distasteful, if not outrightly uh, dishonoring position for him to be in. And while he is, in verse 16, eating the food of the pigs, filling his belly with the husks of the pigs, he says, in verse 17, coming to himself, he says, how many hired servants Of my father's have bread and enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. When this boy finally hits below rock bottom, the bottom of the bottom, where does his mind return to? Do you think he was thinking of his father as he was getting drunk and abusing drugs and spending time living a a party life? I doubt it. I, I am pretty confident, knowing the human condition, that while this boy was living the party life, any time his father came to his memory, he would have pushed him out. He would not have dwelt on his father. It would have only caused guilt, and this young man didn't want guilt. Only when the party was gone, only when the money was gone, only when all he had left was the guilt of his own bad choices, did he finally look to his father, and that his father didn't bring guilt. Now it brought The memory of his parent, whether the father, I know, again, single moms playing both roles, whether the mother, the memory of a parent who loved him brought him hope. But only when he came to himself and realized, I have nowhere else to go but back to my father. You see, parents, when this prodigal son had somewhere else to be, his father only brought him guilt. When he had nowhere else to go, his father brought him hope. And how did that happen? Because the father's heart was for the son, even when the son's was not. On the way out, the father did not close that door of opportunity. On the way out for the prodigal son, the father did not say anything that would hinder the son's return. In fact, it it seems very odd to me just how, you might say, convenient The father made it for the son to leave. A lot of dads would say, well, if you're going to leave, I'm not helping you. I'm not giving you your portion. You're on your own. You get nothing. You're walking out here with the clothes on your back and should be grateful for that. Well, don't expect that son to look to you for hope when they have nowhere else to go. Don't expect that daughter to look to you for hope when they've hit rock bottom. This father, thought you might say, almost enabled the son. I don't believe so. Culturally speaking, what the son took was legally his. It was by his right. The father should give it, whether after his death or before. I do not know in this case. But it was legally his, so he just gave the son what belonged to the son. But then the father left open the door to return. Now, the impact of a father is the title of this morning's message. Because on Father's Day, we need, we need to recognize just how much impact we have as men on the lives of our children. But it's not just men, is it? It's moms, it's grandmothers, it's parents, it's grandparents. Children are impacted by the leaders in their life. But in this story, specifically, the leader of a father. So the impact of a father, I have three points. A father's provision, a father's patience, and a father's passion. Let's look at verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that fall to me, and he divided unto him his living. Letter A. A good father accepts less so that his family can have more. Now look, whether the son deserved this now or deserved it when the father died, the father had obviously was willing to let some of his property, some of his money, exit out the door with his son. Whether it was in the form of property and the son sold it, whether it was all money, we do not know. But the father gave the son quite a bit, enough for him to live the party life for a significant amount of time. That must have been a lot of money. And this father was willing to say, you know what? I'll have less so you can have more. That's the heart of a father. Now, that's the heart of what I should clarify, a good father. A good father, a good mother, a good parent doesn't say, children, sacrifice for me. A good parent says, I sacrifice for you. And God is the greatest of fathers. And God, although, does ask us to sacrifice on his behalf, he will never ask you ever to sacrifice more than he has already sacrificed on your behalf. You cannot out-sacrifice God. A good father takes less so the children can have more. Now, your children may not see that. Your children may not recognize that. Your children may say, like the prodigal son, that's my right. It belongs to me. And you owe me however much money allowance weekly that you've given them. You owe me the clothes that I have in my drawer. You owe me a room, and not just a room, a room of my own with a lock that you're not allowed into. That's my right because I'm your child. Parent, if your children have been saying that to you, welcome to the club. The the father of the prodigal son heard the same thing. You owe it to me. And when you hear those words, you may say, what have I done wrong? Where have I failed my child? Where they think I owe them anything. Look, I can tell you this. There is no way this side of heaven you are any better of a parent than the father of this parable. This was a good father. In fact, in this parable, this father represents God himself. (laughs) You can't outshine God. And even this father had a son that said, you owe me. So part of you might be thinking, have I messed up? Did I wrong my child because they think they're entitled? It's not so much what you've done if you provided for the child because that's your job to provide. This child's heart is not right with God and therefore not right with you. Children in this room, teens in this room, the truth is your parents don't owe you a thing. Nothing possession-wise. They do owe you food because, you know, they got to feed you. They do owe you uh, a place of protection. They, they owe you a, a place in the home, but they don't owe you your own room. They don't owe you designer clothing. It's a little funny when teens think they should be better dressed than their own parents who are actually working and earning the money. It's funny when when kids make fun of their parents for how they dress and say, oh, you dress like an old man, you dress like an old woman. What they don't recognize is the parent is taking less so you can have more, teens. The reason you have nicer clothes is because the parents don't want to spend that amount of money on themselves because they spent it on you. The reason you have nicer clothes is because the parents are willing to sacrifice how they look so that you can be confident in how you look. But the problem with sacrifice, parents is you can sacrifice everything you got and some kids will still say you owe it to me. Now don't worry. That may be right now. But eventually that child eventually if you pray that they hit rock bottom when they have nothing else like the prodigal son hopefully will look back and say I had a good mom. I had a good father and return back. We do take less so our family can have more letter B verse 17. And when he came to himself, this is the prodigal son, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? This prodigal son, as he's sleeping, eating, taking care of the pigs in the pig pen, he remembers just how much his father had, so much that when his father literally gave his portion to the son, and the son walked out with it, the father still had more. Enough to care for the others in his home, not just his older brother, but the other employees, the servants in the home, the father could take care of them and had more, and abundant, above and beyond what was needed for that household. The son says, the servants eat better than me, and my dad still has leftover." You know, it's interesting, this prodigal son, he obviously remembered what his dad had when the son had nothing, but I also believe this son remembered who his dad was, the kind of man that made sure, if you were in my house, you had everything you need and more. Because that's the heart of a parent, isn't it? We work more, so our families have more. Now, there's a danger here. This father obviously worked pretty hard. I would, I would imagine at this point in his older age, he now has other people doing the work and he oversees it. But he obviously must have been a hard worker as a young man to get to this point in his life where he had two sons. Uh, he had multiple servants feeding a household and an abundant leftover during a famine. And abundance left over. This is a smart, wise, hard-working man. But there is a danger to this statement. We as men often are the ones to cross the line here more than I think a lot of others, and that is we work so much because we want our families to have so much. And the danger, dads, is not recognizing that more than any possession, your child needs connection. And that you can work so much to give your family so much, but what they're not getting is the thing they need most, and that is you. Dads, you can impact your children's life, but it's very difficult to do so positively when you're not around. Dad, it's hard to impact your child's life in a good way when you don't have a solid connection with your child. And you could justify all day long, my children need more, they need more, they need more. No, no, change that to my children want more. How much do your children actually need? That is your obligation. Fulfill that. Outside of the need, recognize they need you more than they need what they want, dads. And then you have to balance it out. Sure, a good father, a good mother doesn't want to give their kids just what they need. We want to give them what they want. I get that. I've got five kids. I understand that. You're not a bad parent for working more to give more to your kids, even above what they need. That is understandable. But understand this: above what they need is a want. And every want, they need less than you. They need you, Mom more than they need their wants. They need you, Dad, more than they need their wants. So yes, a good father is going to work more to give more, definitely. But a good father also recognizes at some point, they have enough, they need me. I'm going to be home. I'm going to be home for dinner. I'm going to be home over the weekend. I understand that's not going to be every dinner. I understand it's not going to be every weekend. You're going to miss some. But when you miss some, you make up for some. Do not be distant from your child and say, my job is to give them everything they need. That doesn't require you to be gone 20 hours every day, sleeping four and then leaving again. Your children don't need that much. A father's provision. This child recognized that his father was a strong provider. And so when this child ran from the provider because they didn't know any better, right? Isn't that the truth, parents? Look, I want to say this about kids. I want to say this about teens. I want to say this about young adults. They don't know what they don't know. That's why it's your job, parents, to tell them what they don't know. You say, well, I do. They don't listen. Well, then hopefully they'll remember when they realize, oops, I did not know. Parents, your child doesn't know what they do not know. And your child thinks that you don't know anything. Here's what you do know, parents. You may not know nearly as much about them as phones. You may not know nearly as much about them as computers, as tablets, uh, about social media, internet as a whole. You may not have a clue about things that they grew up understanding from age two. You may not, but you know what you do know? You know people, you know character. Parents, you know the heart condition. You know how easily it is to be deceived. You know how many people out there are deceiving. That you know. What is going to help a child more, knowledge of technology or knowledge of the human condition? See, your kids are trying to convince you you don't have a clue. But in their head, what they're talking about is technology. You need to bring it back to the human condition every time. And that you're an expert on. Why? Because you've made it this far and you're still alive. So you know more about the human condition than they do. And so parents, unfortunately, they don't get it, a lot of them. I'm not saying all. A lot of them don't get it. When they get out into the world and are deceived and are hurt and are broken and they they recognize it was never about technology, it was never about clothing, it was never about all these things, the phones, the social media, it was always about the human condition, personal, interpersonal relationships, knowing how to deal with people, that's what it was always about. They'll remember mom and dad knew what they were talking about. But if you've closed the door, they won't come back to you if you leave it open. When they recognize that, you'll be the one they'll think about. And they'll remember, you not only provided for them physically, you provided for them emotionally. Number two, a father's patience. And boy, does this father have patience in the parable. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. This is the prodigal son, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I do not imagine this father would have seen him a great way off if he was not looking for him. This father did not chase the son down. A lot of you would. A lot of you moms and dads. Your son runs off. You're chasing him down. I'm not talking about a five-year-old. Chase the five-year-old, okay? Don't let them run off. Not even talking about a 12-year-old. Chase the 12-year-old, okay? I get that. We're talking about an adult here. An adult son... Running off, a lot of you would chase him. Not this dad. This dad realized, I've got to step back. I've got to let my son make their mistakes. Letter A. A good father allows his children to make mistakes, but does what? Waits patiently for their return. You know, that happens at different levels in different ways. When your three-year-old spills water... You recognize they're a three-year-old. You don't treat them like a 23-year-old. You let them make a mistake, and you show them how to hold the cup properly next time. You explain to them you don't put the cup at the edge of the table. You explain to them you can't put it on top of something else, and then it'll tip over, right? Let them make mistakes, walk them through success. At age 13, those mistakes will look much different. I was told the story of one time of a young boy who, for his father, it's a true story, wanted to do something nice for the father. So the father worked hard. Uh, The the lawn was getting really high. A lot of you are experiencing that now, right? The rain coming, the sun coming. This lawn was getting uh, weedy. And so the son got out the lawnmower and mowed the lawn. This boy, I think, was in middle school, so seventh grade, something like that, mowed the lawn. He was so proud of himself for mowing the lawn. And the dad came home and was just in shock because the lawn was mowed, yes, but it was mowed to the dirt, (laughs) The boy put the blade on the lowest level. And so this father's nice lawn was now a dirt field. This father, this is some time ago that this happened. The father was telling me this story. And he said, My first instinct was to like, what are you doing, son? What have you done? But then he saw the look on his son's face, that look of pride. I mean, he didn't, he's the boy's sixth or seventh grade. I guess he didn't even the lawn before, I don't know. And the father realized, I, gotta, I, gotta, I cannot, first of all, cannot belittle my son for this act of service. So the father, in his wisdom, in his patience, the father said, I appreciate that, son. Let me show you how to bring the blade up next time, okay? Let me show you how we can mow the grass a better way next time. Allow them to make mistakes and teach them through it. If you come down hard on them every time they mess up, they'll never try again. But this looks different for an adult. You see, parents, us in this room, and I'm not one of them, but those in this room with adult children, your adult child is going to make mistakes. And if you treat them like trash every time they make mistakes, by the way, you treat their spouse like trash every time they make mistakes, I mean, the person your child married, you're going to lose them. They're not going to come back to you for advice. They're not going to come back to you for help. And they're not going to keep trying, at least not in your presence. You need to commend them for efforts at the very least, even adult children. Hey, you know what? Good job trying. Good job trying to cook a meal your first job, honey. I'm sure your husband uh, hopefully appreciated that. Let me help you on how that can look better the next time, right? I remember the first time my wife cooked uh, fried chicken. I think I've told this story before. This was years ago. We were at another church, and we had a potluck. And uh, we were in the South. Everyone eats fried chicken in the South. And so my wife made some fried chicken. We brought it to the potluck, and it sat there, and no one ate her fried chicken. Because it wasn't fried chicken, it was crispy chicken, crispy fried chicken. I don't know that the meat was still there. I think it was, you know, all cooked through. And so I went through the line towards the end, as I usually wait till the end. Not one piece of chicken was taken from my wife's little bowl of fried chicken. She's, she's much better now, okay? She's learned. She really makes really good fried chicken now. This was like 15 years ago. Not one piece of chicken was taken from the bowl. So I took a piece of chicken, and my wife just glared at me because she thought I took it as a pity for her which she was right. I did. So she, she called that one on right. And boy, when I ate that chicken, I could see why no one else ate the chicken. But I'll tell you what, I didn't belittle my wife. And you know what? I'm so glad no one else did either. No, it was like just ignored altogether. So my wife in time realized oh, I can cook it better. And she did. And she increased and improved her fried chicken cooking skills. But you know, what? the problem is a lot of us, we've got people who will just come down on hard on us every time we make a mistake. And we just stop trying. Now, this prodigal son made a series of bad mistakes. The father did not chase him down and belittle him. The father, at this boy, an adult young man, at this level, the father said, you know what? At this point, you're on your own. I'll give you what is due you, but I will let you make your mistakes, and I will be here. He didn't say it in, an, in a cruel way, I'll be here when you get back. But it was obvious to the son, he knew where the father was. Let your kids make mistakes and be there when they come back. Let her be. A good father teaches his children through their moments of weakness. Turn to verse 31 and 32. Remember, the father had two sons. The oldest son obviously had a heart condition as well that was not uh, what it should be. In verse 31 of Luke chapter 15, so we're told the older son... He finds out that the younger son uh, came back, and he's a little jealous that the father is so kind to the younger son. He's jealous that the younger son's allowed back in the family. The the older son should have thought, good riddance, and why are we letting him back? He took his portion. I never want to see him again. The father was overjoyed, gave him a ring, embraced the younger son back into the family, had a celebration, a party for the younger son. The older son said, you never had a party for me, which I doubt is true. You know, oftentimes kids say things that aren't true, and they're upset, right? That's what I think is going on here. This kind of father, I am almost positive, would have had a celebration for his sons at some point in their life. The older boy is just upset. So he says, dad, you never treated me that way. You never gave me a party. You don't love me as much as my younger brother. It's all about him. It was always about him. What's the father's response in verse 31? He said unto him, son, thou art ever with me. The very first response is not a, you're a liar. The first response was, let me name all the times I've done a party for you. The first response was, you're deceived. The first response was not something that belittled the older son. The first response was a reminder of just how much that son meant to the father. What a great way to bring down the emotional level of the son and say, look, bud, you know I love you. Son, you know. That you've always been with me and I've always been with you. And all that I have is thine. Everything I've got left is yours. Your younger brother, I'm going to have a party for him. I gave him a ring, but everything I have left is going to you. Verse 32 It was meet. It was right. It was the right thing to do that we should make merry and be glad for that this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. What's the father doing? He's working with his son through a moment of emotional weakness. You know, fathers, I can tell you something. You're not going to do good at this. This will not be something you are good at if you don't address your own emotional weaknesses. If you ignore your own spiritual and emotional weaknesses, you cannot help your children through theirs. And dads, a lot of us, we ignore them. We harden ourselves through them. We walk away from them. Some of us run away from them. No wonder you can't help your kids through their own. You don't know how. You're clueless. Experience firsthand what it is like to work through emotional, spiritual difficulties. Don't run from them. It is an easy thing to do when your wife is upset, men, to leave the house. One of the easiest things you could do is just walk away. And as is often the case, the easiest thing to do is usually the worst thing to do. I'm not saying you continue the conversation. Sometimes people need their space. I would highly suggest just don't leave the house. Look, if you and your wife have had this conversation, that works for you, great. That's you guys, whatever. I would say in most cases, a woman who is mad at her husband isn't going to automatically get better when he slams a door and drives off screeching the tires and doesn't come back for three hours. Right, that's generally not going to fix the problem for her. So men, I understand giving your wife's distance, but you know, not like 20 miles of distance, Okay. Give her, like, a few dozen yards. Go to the front room and hang out at the couch for a little bit till she's ready to talk to you, and then talk. Men, stop running from the problems in your life, especially when it's your wife, especially when it's your kids, especially when it's your God. Men, we're really good at running, and some of us in this room have been running for a long time. Some of us have been running since we were teenagers, and some of you are teenagers, and you are now starting that journey, and you are now running from God and you will continue running from all of your emotional problems. You will run from your spiritual problems, and you will keep running. Not only will that hurt you, but if you are running from these problems, you cannot and will not stop to help someone else with theirs, and if you do, you won't know what to do. This father obviously wasn't a runner, and as soon as his older son had an emotional weakness, an emotional problem, the father was there and said, let me work you through this with you. He didn't belittle the older son. In fact, I've heard a lot of messages focused on just the older son, no one else. Like, it's the the last few verses preached on nothing else, and the older son is pounded into the ground by these preachers. You know what I don't see? I don't see that father doing that in Scripture. Preachers are abusing this older son when the father himself did not. The father works with him and walks him through his emotional weakness to success. The impact of a father. And number three, a father's passion. What is it, dads, that brings you the greatest joy? Now, look, I know that there's a lot of dads out there that are horrible dads. I get that. I know there's a lot of dads out there that are, that are non-existent. They've, they've abandoned the family. They haven't come back. They're not coming back. What is it that makes a good father good? What is it that brings the the good father the most joy, the most passion? Well, I think you know the answer. It's your kids. It's your family. For a good father, there is nothing that brings them more passion in this life than their family. They will work passionately in a job they do not like because they love their family. They will work passionately in the yard. Now, some of you like doing yard work. I can't understand you. Those of you like me that don't like doing yard work, we'll do it. And we'll do it passionately because we love our wife and we love our kids. And we do it for them. Our passion is the people we love. And that was the case for this father right here. His passion is obviously his boys. Verse 21 through 24. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. This is when the prodigal son returned back. The father's response, he said, bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. You notice what the father didn't ask? Where's all that money I gave you? Where's all the nice clothes you had? The father didn't care. It was obvious this son smells like pig. It was obvious the son lost it all. The father could care less what the son lost because the father had regained the lost son. To this father, his passion wasn't the money that the son abused and lost. His passion was the son. Very obvious to me. Is it to you? So here's my last question regarding this point. And I'll give it to you. I'm sorry, letter A. A good father places his family over possessions. So dads, you get it. I'm pretty sure that we're all in the same room here. We're all on the same page. Our family is more important than possessions. Now let me ask you this, dads. Let me ask you this, men. Do your wives believe that? If I was to take a survey, I'm not going to. There's no papers under the chairs, don't worry. If I was to take a survey and said, does your husband place possessions over you and the children, would she say, definitely not, sometimes, almost always, or definitely yes? There's only one right answer there, definitely not. If she answers anything else, men, you're doing it wrong. Her answer should be, definitely not. I know that my husband loves his family over possessions. Men, you think you're brave? I dare you to ask your wife that question today and see what she says. But for the really courageous, ask your children that question. What would your children say? My dad... And for those with single moms, my mom loves me definitely more than possessions. Sometimes, more than possessions. Uh, most of the time, it's possessions. Sometimes a little bit time to me. Most definitely, possessions over me. Which one would it be? If it's not, they definitely love me more than possessions. You're doing it wrong. Ask your children. This dad loved his son more than possessions, and guess who knew it? the son. How did the son know that? Because the son didn't come trying to explain all the stuff he had lost. If he thought his dad loved possessions more, he probably would not have returned. If he thought it was somewhat, kind of, maybe, he probably would have given an explanation of how he lost all the stuff. The son just came back and said, I just need to eat. And the dad said, let's eat. Here's a ring. You're my son again. The son was probably almost half expecting that. Because the dad made it very obvious in that family, family comes before stuff. And then finally, our last point under a father's passion is letter B. A good father places his family over personal pride. Verse 28, and he was angry. Who is this? Not the father. This is the older brother. The brother was angry. Remember why? Because the younger brother had a party thrown for him at his as, as return. The older brother is angry and would not go in. This guy is acting like a little middle schooler, pouting outside. I'm not going to go in there. They hurt my feelings. I'm going to be out here, and I'm going I'm to pout and make them come to me. You know what a lot of you dads would do? You say, I'm not going out there. He wants to eat. He's going to come inside. The food's in here. And no one bring him food. Make him come back inside. Not this dad. Read that verse. What does the dad do? The dad humbles himself. The Bible doesn't say he humble, but I can guarantee you there was humility involved here. The dad humbles himself, and we're told, therefore came his father out. Humbled himself to come outside. Humbled himself further to entreat him. Entreating has the idea of begging. Not in the sense of, please, son, please come inside. We miss you so much. But in the sense of imploring. Hey, come on back inside. What are you doing? The party's inside. Let's go. You're missing out. This father put his pride aside to help his son. And men, I hate to sock it to you right before we're done, but that's where we fail. That's it right there. I'm ending on the point that you should remember more than any others today. Your pride gets in the way with your conversation and your wife and you just make it worse. Your pride gets in the way in the conversation with your children, and you just make it worse. You blame them. You call them out. You set high expectations. You remind them of how perfect you are and how perfect you were and how good of a son you were and how uh, uh, blessed your parents were to have you growing up. It's all about pride, and the kids aren't stupid. They see it. Your wife's not stupid. She sees it. She has no interest, men, in reconciling with you when you are placing your pride before her. And men, you may be talking to your children, but you're not actually talking to them. You're talking at them because your pride was brought into that room. How dare you make our family look bad? What are you doing? You care more about what the community or your neighbors think about your family's name than you do your child's heart? What are you doing? How dare you make your mother look bad? That is not the issue here. The issue is your child's heart. Stop bringing your pride into the conversation. You know what the book of Proverbs says? That with contention, there's pride, contention is arguing that if there is arguments right now in your home, I guarantee you, I don't need to be in the argument. I don't need to listen to it. I already know the problem. It's pride. Your problem is pride. No, it's not. My problem is they messed up. Everyone messes up. You can get over mistakes if you bring humility into the conversation. You cannot. You make the mistakes bigger than they are when you bring pride. Dads, you want to impact your sons? You want to impact your daughters? You want to impact your spouse in a positive way? Humility is the answer. Moms, I know it's hard. I know it's hard when our kids have messed up. I know it's hard when our kids have wronged us and hurt us. I know it's hard to be kind when they are not. I know it's hard to be calm when they are not. Humility. Humility. Step outside of your room and go to theirs. The idea of home court advantage is a big one. In fact, as a principal, when I was first overseeing the school, I would often bring people to my office and talk with them. And I realized every time I did that, they were uncomfortable. And, and the fact that they were sitting in my office even my teachers would start to fidget. I'd look at them and say, have you done something I should know about that you're, uh, that you're nervous in my office? Uh, you want to tell me something? You want to confess? What's going on here, right? Almost every time, the students, if they're in my office, they're nervous. And I've learned the advantage of meeting people outside of my office in theirs. Now, I don't always do that. There are reasons sometimes I still meet people in my office. But I do it a whole lot less. The students, I'll meet them somewhere else if I can, if, if I'm able to. Parents... Stop making about you and your pride. Step outside of your pride. Meet the child where they're at. Talk with them. Help them work through their weaknesses. Because if your passion is the child, then your pride is not. But I'll tell you this. If your pride is your passion, then your child is not. So what's your passion, parents? What's your passion, dads? Mine is my family. And I am more than happy to give up my pride for the sake of my family. How about you? Let's pray.